Hi, everyone. Corey Bradbury, director and writer of A Murder in the Court of Xanadu and producer of A Theater in the Dark. Thanks so much for listening. I wrote this piece because I was really interested in the story of Marco Polo and the decades he spent in service to the great Kublai Khan of the Mongolian Empire in the 13th century. And I wanted to see what would happen if those characters and a lot of that history was transplanted into a 21st century mega corporation. Um, So enjoy as you go along. A listener recently said that this piece reminded them of Succession meets Arabian Nights meets Chinese opera. And I think that's a great description of um, uh, how this piece lives. So if you want to hear this piece uninterrupted, you can visit us online at atheaterinthedark.com. And if you like what we do, you can go to our website and give us a little gift of support to help us keep it going. And thanks again for listening. Enjoy. A Theater in the Dark presents A Murder in the Court of Xanadu Written by Corey Bradbury The cast includes Nessa Amherst Robinson J. Cyprian Van Farrow Gabriel Fries and Aaron Lynn as Marla This project is supported in part by a grant by the Illinois Arts Council Agency a state agency and supported in part by an Individual Artists Program grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events. The show's original music is composed and performed by Paul Sotnik and is directed by the author. down this way before? These Venetian alleys are so damn thin, so crooked, you never know what is where, or who could be lurking behind which corner. Why, a man I know was killed last week. Oh, are you running from someone? I see. (laughs) Ah, no, I can tell that you came from me, eh? You came to hear my incredible tale of murder most foul and spoiled revenge. My tale of Xanadu and the Great Cain. Call me Marla. I know what you're thinking. You think, Marla, there's no way this is true. But it is true. And it all happened right under your nose in a country whose news you don't pay any mind to. Maybe your own? Where are you from? 
You're not from around here. Maybe it's the big city of Chicago? No matter. Whatever continent crossed to get to me, you'll recognize these people if not by their names, then by their desires, as their desires are also your own. It all happened at a corporation larger than has ever been, larger than the biggest corporation you can think of. I think I know the one you have in mind. But forget about those big brand names. Call this place Xanadu. I'm a romantic. Xanadu isn't just a company, it's also a place. A summer palace with literal top-of-the-world kind of views nestled under melted glacial peaks. Outside of Xanadu the place, Xanadu the company has shaped every aspect of your own life. Acknowledge it now or not. Decisions govern your daily choices in ways you'll never know here on the ground. But up in the mountains, some lucky few rule your fate like the gods of Olympus ruled over the pitiful ancient Greeks. And as for me, I got to play with them. But I must admit, I, Marla, will say freely, I didn't always see. I wasn't always there. I went on assignments fetching such and such, a gem as the one I hold before you. Oh yes, I sell jewels. I'll let you hold it. Though this one's nothing compared to that purest opal I briefly possessed when I served the greatest of them all, Cain. But first, I'll start at the beginning. Now, I'll prime my story with near disaster. This still mighty empire is crippled by three years of failed product rollout, threatening momentum built up over a century. Our leader Kane, once a proud warrior businessman, now succumbs to drink and merriment. Rumor has it he has his own harem, I swear. While his rule is threatened by the actions of his most trusted lieutenant, Ahmad, Kane's gatekeeper and financier. Who is Ahmad, you ask? Well, in Xanadu, Ahmad is poison, yet also serum. When Kane launches a new capital campaign, Ahmad secures the financing. And some money almost always goes missing. When Kane expands into new areas of business, Ahmad negotiates the contract, never forgetting a slice for himself. Did you hear that? Hold this jewel and listen. I'm indispensable. When the light of day is almost gone in these Venetian shadowed corners, sometimes then, dead voices speak aloud and start to interrupt your narrative. Here comes the voice of that no-good Ahmad. I'm indispensable, yet perpetually play the outsider in this company. Let's let Ahmad speak for himself, shall we? I'll take that gem back. Or do you like it? I make Kane feel good and look much better. Yet I'm relegated to second class. It's because I'm Muslim. Cain promises he cares little of religious matters and that Allah is on par with Jesus, Moses, and all the other prophets, but he lowers me and those like me permanently down a peg, though I'm his financial glue. And finance is a skill Cain never had. I rose from my own humble origins to get to where I am right hand of the most powerful man in the world. So what if I've used my influence to gain a little gold? I won't interrupt his origin story, other than to lay out the truth. 
As Cain lies in bed with 30 playthings, Ahmad eats the apple from inside out. And now, he's almost reached the apple's skin. This nuisance will likely label me the murderer. <laughs> Not a murderer, no. Ahmad ne'er spilled blood himself. He had others do it for him. He had it done officially, through governments and treaties and charters, all kinds of administrative channels. And unofficially, through some crooked dark alley corners, like the kind they have in Venice. Kind of like the one we're standing in now. Where's your purse? Keep your eye on your wallet. Those like you disparaged me the moment I set foot in the Hall of Xanadu. Now they are all disgracefully retired or dead. Those are the mouths you want to quote as your sources? And why can't those voices speak now? Didn't I promise murder? To it. I'll have you know Xanadu's influence reached my town of birth 50 years before you were born. The family I was born into was loyal to Xanadu, and then I grew to become Xanadu. I argued my way into a job, reporting and recording taxes to a man who happened to be an in-law to Kane's grandfather. The first great Kane who founded this company, after all. It was founded a century ago. Though not all old things are worth worshipping. That in-law introduced me to Kane's wife, and I made myself indispensable. Then the day came that Kane called me to work in Xanadu's headquarters. Could I help it if his finances were in disarray? And I made myself indispensable. Xanadu gasped across a continent. I gave a structure, and by doing so, gave Cain the resources to make conquest, not just in one landmass, but the planet. Now we do business where we damn well please. Though he squandered it, trying to impress Japan. But that's the fault of old Bayan, not mine. Old Bayan. That name you'll want to remember. Then because of my success, he appoints me Commissioner of Internal Processing, which I transformed into the Office of Harmonious Purchasing. I negotiated thousands of deals to buy goods at fixed prices. And then when a pandemic came or a natural disaster broke, we had the resources to sell at reasonable prices, netting tremendously legal profit. You think that's something that's done overnight? No one had done that before me. His Office of Regulated Management confiscates international shipping orders from our competitors, but that's all under the table. Now I control all our empire's treasury. I know more of our company's bottom line than anyone. With maybe Kane is the sole exception. In short... Without me, you never would have had the means to stage this tale of insurrection. Insurrection! Oh, yes. We'll come to that soon. Soon, but not just yet. As you will. Call it whatever you please. What this detractor emits is simple. Cain only appreciates magnificence. And the magnificent costs money at a level the average person finds self Indulgent. Be fair. Do you need more introduction to Ahmad even still? Perhaps you don't believe me after all. Then take it from these diplomats or clowns. They'll speak to his rise, then we'll see his fall. 
For 20 years, that man has been a thorn in our side. Over and over, our nation's laws are ruled ineffective against Xanadu's corporate policy! Akmat cuts us off at every turn. We don't have Xanadu's resources! No one has Xanadu's resources. Hey, 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 hmm? did you hear about Ahmad? I just received the news. News? What are you talking about? He's just created a new corporate position. <gasps> and guess who's taking the oh, job? No. Not the judge. Former judge now. Announced his retirement and <gasps> there's more. What's that? Rumor has it. I haven't confirmed this, but knowing the judge, I believe it. He sent his own daughter to live with Ahmad. You're mad. I'm honest. She would go along with that? He would allow that for his own daughter? Ahmad owns 12 houses. That's a trade-off even for a federal judge's daughter. And he wouldn't be the first to trade away such a precious family jewel in exchange for a cushy board or committee appointment. At least that's what I've heard. Well, what does Kane think of this? Well, Kane's too busy plowing his own harem if my ears here, right? I've heard the same. What do we say when we go home? I'm drafting our official response to the home office now. It reads, my fellow citizens, we're fine. You see why Marla called them clowns? Diplomacy helps you get what you want, but most diplomats and people are fools. When I was tasked with taking inventory of Xanadu's wide financial net, I finished in two weeks and was promoted two days later. Why was I promoted? Because I was worthy of promotion. This is what I tried to say earlier. I may owe everything to the Great Canes, but I'm responsible to no one. Ahmad! Doesn't he explain himself so well? Well... Man, God, or legend, now Kane approaches. We'll give Ahmad's genius its timely due. For now, imagine this was years ago, with Ahmad younger and Kane far fitter, before the death of... Well, we'll get to that. Dear gods, Ahmad, now you've done it. Have I? What have I done? Your plan for the tin. Uh, all that tin we couldn't figure out what to do with when we found it, trying to get that iron ore under Mount Tehilt. But you've solved it. If you approve of my solution, of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Use the tin to forge more tools to sell to farmers, exchanged for wheat, which then gets stocked in our warehouses, thus creating long-term inventory for a shelf-stable product, while not just eliminating our own hasty waste, but making us a killing from it. Oh, brilliance, Ahmad, brilliance. Thank you, sir, I thought so too. But the council and that trusted friend of yours, old Bayan, oh, I wish you'd send him to Africa. You've heard they're not too pleased with my proposal? Uh, those Chinese, they are too ordered and mired forever in bureaucracy. No, this is what we need. Bold action to strike while the iron is hot. Next, you'll tell me you found a way to monopolize salt? Uh, that plan is still under review, for now. <laughs> what a kidder. <laughs> with results like this, we'll dig ourselves out of this avalanche of Japanese debt. Perhaps now you understand Ahmad understand his cleverness, and how he can get what he wants? Slick like a snake, 
but charming like a friendly family dog. One could accept his duplicity while never questioning his loyalty. When you bake into a snake the brain of an elephant, but add the conscience of a murderous chimpanzee amods what comes out of the kiln when you leave the buyer burning a bit too long. But you've got to admit, he's got exquisite style, wouldn't you say? Even then, Ahmad had 17 sons, and since that time, he's had five or six more. Why is that important? Because today, every single one of them is dead. Thank you for listening to A Murder in the Court of Xanadu. Written and directed by Corey Bradbury. This project is supported in part by a grant by the Illinois Arts Council Agency, a state agency, and supported in part by an individual artist's program grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events. Our cast includes Nessa Amherst as Marigold, Robinson J. Cyprian as Kane, Van Farrow as Jim Gim, Bion, and others, Gabriel Fries as Ahmad, and Aaron Lynn as Marla. Original music written and composed by Paul Sotnik. Special thanks to John Olson Communications. This audio play was produced and sound designed by Corey Bradbury. To hear more audio plays, visit us online at atheaterinthedark.com. A Theater in the Dark creates stories through sound. Let's hear a short excerpt from another original audio play of ours, Comedy Noir, A Matter of Red Herrings. How are you so calm? I like the odds. Besides, I'm less interested in which horse wins. I'm a lot more interested in which horse... And they're off! 23 Skidoo takes the lead from Ponzi, making a pass at Jersey Driver. Hepcat on the outside, pushing Tripod in the rear. Flat device from Hepcat on neck and neck as Ponzi loses ground. Hepcat catches up in the first bend, but in an apparent drug-fueled stupor, 23 Skidoo has crashed through the bastards, wandering aimlessly in the flower patch. Oh, get off your high horse. No, that's the high horse. Oh. But wait, Jersey driver matches plot device and sends Skidoo packing. Jersey breaks away. Ponzi fills the gap, has hit back Jersey. Jersey and plot are neck and neck. There's the finish line, and the winner is... And the winner is plot device by a nose. Ponzi places second, Jersey driver third. We are still waiting on tripod to finish the race. You can hear this audio play uneinterrupted at our website, atheaterinthedark.com.